Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. If you were raised on a version of Christianity that relies on the Bible as the foundations of faith, maybe it's time you change your mind about Jesus. What we point to, what do we point to as the foundation of our faith? For most Christians, unfortunately, it's the Bible. Jesus, or Peter, James, and Paul chose to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures. That's the Old Testament. And my friends, we must as well. Everything I've said up to this point has not been my words or my beliefs, but quotes from a prominent pastor and a false teacher. Andy Stanley. So don't go on Facebook saying, I can't believe my pastor just said. Okay? I don't believe that those words that I just read. But unfortunately, that's a fair representation of similar beliefs that have infected the church without notice. About the Bible, about the Old Testament. I think there's a lot of Christians who they wouldn't maybe go outright and state it like Andy Stanley does there in so many sermons. But if they're honest with themselves, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're embarrassed and ashamed about the Old Testament and the stories that are found in there, so much so that you really hope your unbelieving friend doesn't bring up the Old Testament. And what about that angry God? Hoping it just doesn't get brought up. And, and if it does, maybe you would just be quick to say, I really prefer to go to the New Testament and stick to those red letters. I think that's in a mild way, falling into the same trap of what Andy Stanley was just saying when he said, unfortunately, the Bible is the foundation for many Christians' faith. Unfortunately, No, 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 fortunately. But so many are scared and reluctant to use over half of their Bible because they don't know what to do about the Old Testament. So as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us that the law is central to our Christian faith and life. The Old Testament is central. It is key to understanding your salvation. We have to look at it. We have to understand it if we want to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus who came to fulfill it. Jesus has a vibrant understanding of the law. Jesus has a love and appreciation for the law. Just in the Sermon on the Mount, where we're at, so far, he has showed us that living a godly life, or you could say a lawful life, is really important, and it matters. Verse 16, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works. Jesus is talking about works? Not in my faith. No, works are good. The law is good. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that living a godly life, though it matters, it's not enough. 
we need a Savior. Works are good, but they're not going to save you. Works are important, but they're not enough. It's two sides of one essential coin in understanding the gospel. Let the world see your good works. May you have good works. We need a Savior to fulfill the law because I can't do it. So that's where we get to in verse 17. He flips the coin over here from verse 16. Let your good works be seen. Flips the coin over and now looks at the other side of it here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is what the Word of God says. We're going to read through verse 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, there's a lot there. We can know just from reading that one time without expounding on it, Jesus cares about us understanding the law, right? So my goal for us today as we just walk through these few verses is that one, we would see what Jesus thinks about the law. Okay, so that's going to be a little bit of theology. That's going to be a little head work. We need to understand how Jesus interacts with, relates with, and understands the law, that is the Old Testament. And then from there, as his disciples, we need to fall in line with that. We need to fall in line with his understanding of the law and his beliefs about the law, his commands and proclamations of the law. And so I guess my question for you to really just start out the gate with is, does your faith in Jesus involve the Old Testament? Or is it unhitched? Because maybe you just don't know how your faith would relate to the Old Testament. Maybe you don't even know where to start with understanding the Old Testament and how it speaks to you today. So as it stands right now in your walk with Jesus, does your faith involve the Old Testament? Or is it unhitched. Jesus teaches us to have a theology that is fastened and hitched to the Old Testament if we want to understand our Lord and Savior and what he did for us. So first, Jesus's perspective on the Old Testament law of God. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Let me read them again very carefully. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, and the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the heaven, from the law, until all is accomplished. Let's pause there and look at this for a little while. So what he's not saying is that we should just throw out the Old Testament, right? 
He's not saying that, that we should just get rid of the law and throw it out, rip it out of our Bibles. Far from it. Look at the text, verse 17, he says, I did not come to abolish it. What's that mean? It's still a reality. It still affects us. It's still around. It's still here. The law has not been abolished. Jesus is not a law abolitionist. Leviticus still affects you. Deuteronomy still affects you. He did not come to abolish the law. And in fact, he says, it's not going anywhere until what? The world passes away and all is accomplished, even the end times. Well, the world's still here. The end time The last day, the day of the Lord has not come, and so the law is still here. It's still a thing. And let me just say, he is referring to all the laws in the Old Testament. At this point, at least in verse 17 and 18, every iota, every dot, every tittle will remain. That's all three, 613 of them. He didn't come to scratch any of them off or rip them out. Simply put, Jesus doesn't want us to unhitch from any of that. He doesn't want us to throw the Old Testament out of our New Testament theology. So let me just say this very clearly. Christianity that is separated from, detached from, devoid of the Old Testament is a defective, incomplete, heretical, and wrong Christianity. Jesus wouldn't affirm that kind of Christianity. Ripping out the Old Testament is coming up with an entirely new faith, one that Jesus had no idea of. It wasn't the faith Jesus talked about because Jesus lived and he came to fulfill it, not to abolish it. I talked with some friends recently and they were, we were sharing you know, how Sarah and I met, and they were sharing about how they met, and first dates, and all these things, and, and one of them, uh, uh, th- their first date kind of stood out to me, where uh, she got all dolled up, put on all this makeup she wouldn't normally just throw on, and, and uh, friends were pushing her to do that, and, and they go on this date. She didn't look like herself. She didn't dress like herself. And her friends thought, well, that's what will impress them. You, you should do that. Reality, I think this, this kind of shows a little bit of image of what people do when they say, let's just rip out the Old Testament. Those who would reject the Old Testament, rip it out of their Bibles, would think, oh, this is more appealing this way to the non-believer. Doll up the gospel. Put some makeup on it by ripping out that Old Testament. That ugly doesn't work. It, it's not appealing. So let's get rid of the Old Testament. The reality is you lose the true beauty. You lose the true beauty of the gospel. When Andy Stanley would, quote-unquote, put makeup on it, he ruined it. So he's not saying that we should get rid of the law. He's saying that we can trust that he keeps it, does it, lives it, and thus fulfills all of it on our behalf. It's verse 17, right? I did not come to abolish the law, 
I've come to fulfill the law. So he's not saying the law is absent from your life. He's saying that it's accomplished in your life. You see? He didn't come to abolish. He came to accomplish. It's not absent. And this is, I think, guys, this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up. This is where a lot of Christians get tripped up here. Because maybe you're thinking, what's the difference? Abolish it, fulfill it. It's all the same. It's not in my life anymore. And you're right. To, to an extent, our day-to-day life doesn't change. Either way, whether he abolishes it, fulfills it, either way, we're not sacrificing goats anymore and we can eat shrimp to the glory of God. So you might ask, what in the world's the difference? He got rid of it. It doesn't apply to me anymore. Let's not make it more confusing than that. Well, I think the difference between abolishing the law, just saying don't worry about it anymore, and fulfilling the law, I did it for you, the difference there is the way we see our Savior and His work on Calvary. You see, if He were to have abolished the law, that's easy. That's simple. It's careless, really, of Him to quit caring about the law. He gave up on him, saying, ah, that's that old stuff, don't worry about it. You're good. Run along. We'd say, okay, and shrug our shoulders. We'd go say, well, I guess I don't have to go butcher a goat today. He said, don't worry about it. That, that's abolishing it. That takes no effort, no work, and it's actually contradictory of his nature to not care about what he once cared about. But that's not what he did. He didn't shrug his shoulders and say, ah, don't worry about it. He came to fulfill it. Fulfilling it is far more loving and far more sacrificial. He didn't throw it out the window. He didn't put them to the side. He put them on himself. And he fulfilled them. He bore the weight of them. Didn't just forget about them. The law stayed, burden and all, as painful as they are to keep, they stayed, and he just did it for us. That's not a careless Savior. That's a loving Savior. He didn't abolish the law and just forget about it. He was willing to do all of it for us and put it on his back. And let me think with you a little bit about the freedom that comes with him fulfilling the law. For you and for me. Have you ever read Leviticus? I was talking to some friends about it this week. It's exhausting just to read Leviticus. It's exhausting to read through Deuteronomy. I mean, how many of you start January with going through, and you're, you're sure, you're making it through this time, and then you really get bogged down when you hit Leviticus. And numbers? Or is that just me? It's exhausting to read, let alone do We can't sit down and just read the words of it, let alone get up and actually try to live that out. Think about the freedom that comes with Christ fulfilling all of it for you. Christ fulfilling the law brings freedom for the Christian. Freedom from shame. Shame that you're not doing it all, that you're not living up to this standard 
you can confess your sins to your friends, to your spouse. You can go home and say, I'm sorry, I have. Your holiness isn't found in your perfection. He fulfilled the law. You can't. This is freedom from shame, from guilt. You can go home and confess. Your sins have been paid for. Freedom from fear. If I sin, maybe God's not going to love me anymore. Maybe God doesn't love me already. Christ's acceptance of you isn't found in your perfection. It's found in God's perfection. There's a lot of talk going on with Israel lately with the, the war. A lot of thinking about them. and Conversation struck with me and some friends this week and um, talking about the burden that they still carry. Think, think about Orthodox Jews still waiting on the Messiah who's already come and they're waiting for him to come. Think about the burden that they're carrying, still thinking that they have to fulfill all the law just that God would love them. My friend actually went over to Israel and stayed there for some time and he was just telling me stories of just, you can tell the weight that they carry wanting God's love. That on Shabbat, that's the Sabbath, that there's an elevator that just runs all the time and hits every floor in apartment buildings because they can't push a button on the elevator to say what floor to go to because that would be working on the Sabbath. You, c you have to count your steps because if you take too many steps, you're in sin. He even had somebody come up and say, hey, could you turn off our light? We're going to bed. They couldn't flip the light switch. It'd be sinning to work on the Sabbath. Can you imagine the weight, the fear of God not loving me anymore? Because I have all these laws that I just have to do for God to like me. Listen, God's acceptance is in Christ, fulfilling all the laws. He is our Sabbath. Wow. Christ set us free. He didn't abolish the law. Even better, he fulfilled it. And so we should fall in line with this theology that Jesus has just shaped in verses 17 and 18. We need to fall in line with this understanding of the law and live according to Jesus' theology. This leads us to verse 19 and 20. Firstly, verse 19 shows us that we need to lean into the law of God, not not lean away, not back away from the law. We need to lean in, press into the law because he's fulfilled it. Let me read verse 19. Therefore, okay? Now, how many of you guys know when you read the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for? I have come to fulfill the law. The law is not passing away, not an iota, not a dot. Therefore, okay, okay, this is application now. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. I've fulfilled it. The law is not passing away. Therefore, lean into the law, not back away. Right? 
And this seems shocking. This doesn't seem to make sense. This, this seems to be the opposite of what we would expect. The way I would expect it would be, I fulfilled it. It's not passing away. I did it for you. Therefore, don't worry about it anymore. Don't read it. No need. I took care of it. You're good. Don't sweat it, right? I fulfilled it. Therefore, don't worry about it. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I fulfilled it. Therefore, don't relax on it. I did it perfectly for you. Keep striving. We should lean into the law of God because he fulfilled it. Not back away from it. This challenges all thinking and talking which are anti-law. Anti-works. That we often find ourselves saying and thinking. We should not think anti-law. Anti-works. In fact, we should be pro-works pro-law. Not saying for your salvation, but you should be pro-law. The law is a good thing. So let's do some self-analysis. Let's think about do I think in such a way that is anti-law? Do I think in such a way that is anti-works? just because works aren't what save me? You may be anti-law. You might live in such a way that is anti-works. If you're on board with Christianity because you love a free salvation, but you have no interest in the holiness part. How many of you guys ever go to Sam's Club or something and you just like go to all those free, you know, the, the little things that have the toothpicks, and you're like, I'll take five, please. You know what I'm talking about? And I say, I've got so many kids back there. It's the other aisle. I'll, I'll just grab all of them for them. And we'll, we'll and I'm shopping by myself. <laughs> Love the free stuff. Convention? Sorry, I'm getting off on a convention. So many free t-shirts. You're just looking around for the free t-shirts, but I love free things. You may be anti-law, though, anti-works, if you just love Christianity, if you wear that Christianity badge proudly because the free salvation you get, but you have no interest in that work stuff, that holiness stuff, that shouldn't be. You may be anti-law, anti-works if when you sin, maybe you're quick to comfort yourself about God's grace in your life and you don't really give proper time to remorse and confession. Think about that. When you fall into sin, when you fell into sin this past week, and you know it, are you quick just to say, oh, but God's gracious, God's good. Amen. Or do you give the proper time for confession, remorse, repentance? You may be anti-law, anti-works, if you're regularly calling other people legalistic and over the top about this whole thing, when in reality, they're probably just taking holiness more seriously than you are. You find yourself saying, oh, they're a bunch of legalists. 
bunch of tryhards. Well, maybe it's just that you're anti-holiness, and they take their faith seriously. All of these are anti-law mindsets. Jesus doesn't want us to be anti-law. He wants us to be pro-morality, pro-holiness. I appreciate this quote from Dallas Willard. It says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Holiness is still really hard work. Let's be anti-earning, absolutely. Let's be pro-works. Christ calls us to commit to the Old Testament laws, which are moral for all people at all times. So let's commit our own personal holiness to the moral laws of God. Right? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... Whoever does them and teaches them. So firstly, there's really two things he's addressing here. One, how you teach other people, and then also how you live it yourself. Let's consider the first one. We need to commit our own personal holiness to observing the moral laws of God. If you just go through the New Testament, have you ever noticed? There's a lot of pro-works commands. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Make every effort. Work out with fear and trembling. You know all those phrases. These are pro-holiness commands, pro-striving, pro-effort, pro-works. Knowing all the while that you are saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross. Therefore, do not relax on morality. We shouldn't just commit, though, ourselves and our own personal holiness to the moral laws of God, but we also need to commit to teaching them to other people. Isn't that what he says in verse 19? Whoever does them personally and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) This assumes that you're teaching others. Isn't the Great Commission... Showing us that we are all to make disciples. Husbands, let's get practical here. Let me ask a question that might make you feel a little uncomfortable. Speaking specifically to husbands right now, if we had no adult Bible study, we did away with Sunday school, we got rid of life groups, there was no ladies' groups. Think of any other program that our church has, and we just scrap them all. Would your wife still have the word of God poured into her? Wives, you're not off the hook. Parents, if there was no children's church, no Wednesday nights, no Sunday school, no vacation Bible school, no Bible drillers, and all the rest, would your children still learn the Bible? based on what they're learning from you at home. This is a really important point. Volunteers in our church are not the primary teachers for our families. Parents are. Husbands, you are. 
older generation, consider what is your contribution in making the next generation? Just a couple weeks ago, Sarah and I asked a, another couple, took them out and just said, you know, we'd really like to find some mentorship, learn from you guys. If a, if a younger couple than you would ask that, I encourage you, say yes. But I also say don't wait until then, right? Look around. Invest in, pour into the church around you. We are not to just live out our faith, but we're to disciple our faith. So, we should lean into the theology that Jesus is showing that the Old Testament law has not been abolished. We should lean into the law of God, but also, verse 20, we need to remember that we're never going to live it out perfectly. We need a perfect Savior. Let me read verse 20 again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's weighty. Jesus knows that no one can follow the law as well as the Pharisees did. We're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. So what's he saying here? Well, Verse 19, remain committed to the moral law of God. Verse 20, but it's got to be done perfectly. So I think he's insinuating to look elsewhere for your justifying righteousness to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's a huge shift. Holiness isn't for your salvation. Holiness is for worship, to tell God, thank you. Because there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can do this. That's a whole shift in why you are working to be holy. Why you want to follow the law of God. It's not to earn God's love. It's because you have God's love. Let me brag on how amazing of a husband I am real quick. I, uh, just kidding. It's not as often as I would like, but when I do take Sarah on a nice date, don't ask her when the last one was, it's coming up very soon. We're driving to Springfield this afternoon. (laughs) You're welcome, babe. Now, why would I have her get dressed up, go out on a nice date, pull out her chair, push her in, open the door for her? It's not because I'm hoping to keep her, that she's going to leave me if I don't, that I need to earn her love. It's because she's mine. She's not going anywhere. I do these things not to keep her on the line. It's because I have a security that she's mine. And I have the chance to show her that I love her. So it is with our holiness. It's not, hopefully, that today we can convince God again to love us. It's because he's already dead set on loving you. And he showed it with dying on the cross. Is your mind mush now and you're just like, I'm going to crawl under my seat. I don't know what to do with all this law. And he fulfilled it, so let's lean into it. And, and, but don't, don't worry about being perfect at it because he did. And two summarizing points for you to make it all, hopefully, a little 
more clear. What are we saying here? We are good through Jesus. Therefore, we are good for Jesus. We are good through Jesus. He came to fulfill the law, verse 17. Your righteousness must be perfect, verse 20. You are good through Jesus. Maybe you're striving to earn God's love right now. Hear me, you are only good in God's eyes through Jesus. You can recycle, you can not cuss, you can make sure you don't litter. You can be a great mom and a great dad. You can be nice to animals. You may be better than the person to your left. Don't look right now. (laughs) Hear me, it's not enough. At the end of the day, it's not enough. Only a perfect, holy, perfect, not good, only a perfect holiness is acceptable. And that's only found in Jesus. So are you just dying to earn God's love today? In love, in boldness, I say, stop it. Stop it. Christ says to you, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. My burden is light. You are good through Jesus. Therefore, we are good for Jesus. So don't give up. Keep striving. Wake up today and the next day and the next day. Seeing it as a day to improve. Never take off the gloves. You're still in the fight. I love this quote from John Piper. Our salvation costs us nothing. But your holiness will cost you everything. Don't take off the gloves. Fight the good fight. And in the end, may God look at Christ and welcome us into the kingdom of heaven. But still say, but still look at our efforts and say, well done. Look at Christ and say, come in. Look at our efforts and say, well done, good and faithful servant. May both those happen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.